Hello, I'm George Middleton. Welcome to Deconstructing Race, a critical thought podcast where we deconstruct race and its social issues like this. A country emerging from protests of pain. After the killing of George Floyd, viral moments of racial bias caught on tape. I'm going to tell you there's an African-American man threatening my life. And the deadly shooting of Ahmaud Arbery. Race, a social construct of chaos, resulting in learned behaviors that can be unlearned by challenging our system of beliefs. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let's begin. Welcome to another episode of Deconstructing Race. This episode will explore the notion that black people can't be racist. Is that true? Let's begin by listening to an opinion of a racially controversial comedian, yet very funny, the late great Paul Mooney. In 2010, comedian Paul Mooney did an interview on Real Black TV, and during this interview, it was mentioned to Mr. Mooney that, apparently, some people think that he's a racist. That I'm racist? Well, that's very funny. I, I, I can't be racist by definition. Look that, up, look that up in the white folks' dictionary. How can I be racist? I've never told anyone where to live. I've never told anyone what kind of jobs to have. I've never kept anyone from going to a school, out of a restaurant, or drinking from a fountain. I've never lynched anybody. So how can I be racist? How can I be racist? By definition, I can't be racist. I can't be, by definition. Look, look up the definition of racism. As mentioned in my previous episodes, and you will most likely hear in future episodes, is that I suggest you first establish points of clarity and collective understanding of racial terminology. Race, racist, and racism. These are the most misused and misunderstood words in many of our racial discussions. Here's an example of what I am recommending. On this topic, I want to know how you define racism. Let's start with you, Dewan. Let's go with how you feel about racism. Well, uh, racism is a practice. That's what ism is, the, the suffix ism. Race is the differences in who we are 
ism is a practice of maintaining the system that divides us. Okay. And so racism, that's racism to me. Racism is the, the way of controlling the social hierarchy. Mm, okay. I like that. Okay. okay, Cindy, how do you feel? I believe, you know, if you really boil it down and you just look at the simple definition of racism, racism is the belief that one race is either superior or inferior to another race based on characteristics of that race. Mm. And how that manifests is a different topic, but that is the definition of racism. So you do believe that it happens between two different races? Yes, right? Okay. Because there is the belief that one ethnic group um, is superior and inferior of another ethnic group, and that's, that's a little bit different. Just a little bit. Okay. Because they convolute ethnicity and race together, but truly racism is defined as one race believing that another race is superior and inferior based on characteristics that are inherent with that particular Group. Okay. What, what is your opinion on it, Cindy? I'm sorry, oh, Cindy. I'm Cindy. Cindy. Oh. That's Elise. Elise. <laughs> Donnie, I'm, I'm Cindy, I'm and Elise. Okay. Okay. Right. We've got to get you into discussion. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, my definition or the definition that I work with on racism is a blend of the two of yours. Um, I believe that racism is the belief that one race is greater than another, but it's operating on a construct that's created, especially in America. It's a white supremacist base. Like, mm -hmm. that's where we're coming from. We're, we live in a white supremacist country, and that's not an opinion, it's a fact. Um, but the way that racism manifests, it doesn't necessarily mean that because I am a biracial black woman, that I can't be racist against black or, um, any, I mean, any other uh, non-white race. That was an excellent example of a group attempting to have a productive and thought-provoking forward-moving discussion in the area of race by first establishing those points of clarity. So in similar fashion, I'm going to provide that level of clarity for you in regard to how this podcast operates. The historical premise of race is the following. Racial classification systems were developed in the 1600s by the European who explored and colonized the globe and found that there were physical differences between people. These systems were used to justify colonization, conversion, slavery, and genocide. According to these systems, white skin was the standard and dark skin was associated with intellectual inferiority and slowed development. Based on this historical premise of the ideology, here are the operational definitions. Race, an ideology of racial classification. Racist, a practitioner of the ideology maintaining the hierarchy of color for social exploitation. Racism, the application of race ideology in all systems. So, based on these definitions, I submit to you the following assertion. Black people can be racist as long as it supports the ideology of white supremacy. Think about it. It was designed by the European with this intent. 
Can you think of a place anywhere in the world where there is systemic oppression of the white community by any non-white community? I invited a personal friend and professional colleague of mine, Mr. Edwin T. Lee of Game Changing Moments to make a special guest appearance on this show. His platform focuses on moments that changed the game for those who have achieved or are in pursuit of fulfilling their purpose. His objective is to educate, motivate, and inspire one to live out one's purpose doing what one was created to do. Exploring moments that change the game in the lives of people. He says, when you make the most of every moment, you never know when that moment will be that game-changing moment. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Edwin T. Lee. I was asked the question, can black people be racist? And I thought about it, and we can't really be racist toward white people because we don't control enough. Um, but we can be racist toward each other. We can be racist toward each other when we are in positions and we allow our attitudes or ideas or or uh, stereotypes that we have about ourselves keep us from advancing. Let me say it like this. As long as we believe, and I think we believe this subconsciously, as long as we believe that all knowledge begins and ends with white people, we would never advance at maximum speed. Or we can never advance as fast as we could because we're thinking that all knowledge begins with white people. Uh, and I say that because we, when you hear the term, uh, I want to send my child to a good school, or I want to send my, uh, I, I want to go to a good school. When you think of good, or you think to uh, think of best, what do you think about? What comes to mind? When that is said like that, you may think of white people. You may think of a white institution. You know, we believe that if we go to a white institution, that validates our intelligence. We don't believe our intelligence is worth anything unless somebody white validates it. So therefore, we go to their schools, thinking that their schools are better. There's only one thing to make their schools better, if you want to call it that. It's not because they're smart. It's because they have money. And where do you think that money comes from? It comes from 400 years or 250 years of free labor. That's where the money comes from, that they have the resources to build these institutions of higher learning. Therefore, we flock to these, we want to go to these institutions because we think they are quote-unquote better. And the only thing that really makes them better, if you want to call it that, is they may have more resources. And we are the reasons that they have the resources. Yet, there was a, a long period of time where we couldn't even get into the institutions. So, we believe, again, we believe uh, subconsciously that White people are the you know, beginning end of all knowledge because that's the reason why it's hard to fit in those spaces, you know, because, you know, we, have to, we want that validation from them. We don't have that 
we don't seek validation in and of ourselves. We want the validation coming from them. And I think that's been programmed through uh, slavery, through Jim Crow, through uh, discrimination, through all of that. So, also, when you think of the critical race theory, that's another way, another device that they want to use to control the information in education. They've been controlling information disseminated through textbooks and education since the, what? Since the beginning. Therefore, they determine what you should know. Another example of this is what? You look at the ACT test, SAT test, the standardized testing. They decide what you need to know or what you should know. And if you don't know that, they may consider you not what? Educated. You see? So, uh, we have to, and I think of the, um, another example, I think of the uh, coaching on a professional level, be it baseball, basketball, football, it's hard to enter into those spaces because, again, we believe all knowledge begins and ends with white people. They validate, even though most of us are playing in these sports, especially football and basketball, but yet we feel like they know more or they can validate who's good and who's not. You see? So um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And another thing, my last point I want to make is this. As HBCUs, I remember when I was in school, uh, they prepared us to enter into those spaces, you know, and we had to present ourselves a certain way. We had to try to, you know, uh, 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 conduct ourselves in a certain way, speak a certain way, look a certain way, that we may be able to enter into those spaces through our education. However, I think there's nothing wrong with that at that particular time, but now HBCU should be, and I heard this on the radio, we should be about not only being able to enter into those spaces, but also create spaces for ourselves. we got to be able to create spaces for ourselves that we can what, uh, exist and validate who we are and what we are and what we're all about. So that is my, uh, my opinion, that is my take on can uh, black people be racist. The two themes of importance eloquently addressed by Mr. Edwin T. Lee of Game Changing Moments are one, self-validation, and two, the black community creating spaces for itself economically and professionally. These two themes provide an excellent segue into my premise that black people can be racist as long as it maintains principles of white supremacy. Often, when we talk about race, we only go skin deep, when in actuality, it is brain deep, deep in our subconscious where our belief system lies. Race is not about skin color. It is about the belief in skin color. So what are some tangible ways that members of the black community maintain oppressive limitations on each other? I can think of two for starters. One, colorism. And two, economic flight. Let's begin with colorism. Alice Walker, 
author of In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, introduced this word colorism and defined it as prejudicial or preferential treatment of same-race people based solely on their color. In actuality, it is basically the ill notion of enjoying privilege for inheriting lighter skin tone. She goes on to note that it is believed that fair skin can give people all the attention and success they aspire to, especially when it comes to marriage. Women with fairer skin tone are more preferred as brides. Colorism is an ingrained predisposition which the European brought into the societies they colonized. They would implement racist policies and treat local people poorly because of their darker skin tones. Unfortunately, even after their oppressive influence was eradicated, they left this ideological malpractice behind. Listen to some personal insights of those who have experiences with this racially motivated behavior in a piece of a documentary titled, What is Colorism? Honestly, colorism to me, I mean, well, it might as well be racism because it's almost as if you're being put against each other by your own people. Like people will say, light skins can't do this or dark skins can't do this or brown skins are this or dark skins are that. And it just doesn't make sense to me because it's like, we've already, we already deal with racism. So why should we have to go through the same thing in our own community, you feel me? It's like, it's like we endure so much already. So it's like, we're already alone in this society. So why do we have to go through it in our own community as well? It's stupid to me, honestly. To me is the debate between light skin and dark skin. Um, the different pigmentation stereotypes that we have. Colorism to me is a division between the same race based off the pigmentation of your skin tone. I feel like um, it started back in the 1800s when the uh, white man uh, kind of separated us to be like a house nigga or a Phil nigga. The Phil nigga was more of a darker tone. The house nigga basically got to live in the house and have this good life that they thought they were having with their own used. Uh, the dark skinned person was more the hard worker, the uh, mover and the shaker, the thriving person. The light skin tone was more so they, they got it easy. They got to basically live in a house, but be a servant. Um, a lot of times the dark skinned person was the go-to for the white man behind the scenes. He was the dark-skinned wife and have the baby with her. That's how you have these lighter tones now because of those situations. To bring a more personal and intimate perspective to this concept of colorism, I once again asked my friend and colleague Edwin T. Lee of Game Changing Moments to provide us his personal insight. What is colorism and have I experienced colorism? It's definitely something that we have to we have had to deal with for a long time. And when I think about it, it's just a byproduct or remnant 
of slavery and the separation of black people, those who worked inside, those who worked outside, and those who were of a lighter color were favored more than those of a darker color. And it's kind of interesting that those slave owners or those people who were in control committed all kind of um, sexual deviant behaviors to, to our people, which here again, hence caused all of this. So therefore, it's a, it's, a, it's a byproduct of it. And it's unfortunate that we that it exists. However, it's something that we can overcome. So I'm not going to blame slavery and in the sense that we can't overcome it. I blame slavery because that's where it came from. However, is it something that we can overcome? Absolutely. We can overcome that. You know, it's something we can overcome. Have I experienced it in my life? Not directly. Not that I can remember that I've ever, you know, you know, experienced it up front. I've always been comfortable with my particular complexion being, you know, a little darker. Yeah, I have no issue with it. I never had, I don't have personally, it doesn't matter to me. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't favor, you know, dark versus light and anything like that. I know people who have, though. I know people who do who prefer lighter or prefer darker, as far as I'm concerned, it really does not matter. Because at the end of the day, uh, we have to treat each other the same, regardless, you know, regardless. But does it exist? Absolutely. Have I experienced it? Not really. Now, I've seen, it's kind of, here's, here's the thing, though. Those people who are darker prefer those who are lighter. And those who are lighter prefer those who are darker. So go figure, you know, go figure. But it is a issue and it is an issue that has came from that particular time, from slavery and all those things, all those seeds of distrust, seeds of uh, favoritism, supremacy, you know, that's where it all come from all come from it's kind of funny when i think about it is that when people look you know when people uh look at it they have to know where it came from they have to know and not to fall into that mindset because of where it came from if we don't have if we don't follow that mindset because of where it came from we can be a lot we can deal with each other a lot better we can deal with each other a lot better because it's all steeped in white supremacy that's really what it boils down to white supremacy now again i'm not making an excuse i'm not saying that you know making excuse for that's why we treat each other the way we do it's a part of it however it is i repeat myself again it is something that we can overcome with the knowledge of where it came from Thank you, Edwin T. Lee of Game Changing Moments, for that very insightful perspective. You made really several interesting points and observations that bear further exploration. I would like to focus on a couple of them. First, that acknowledgement of history is not synonymous with making excuses. And secondly, that there is a way to overcome this internal 
self-destructive behavior towards ourselves and each other. This is the primary purpose for this podcast, Deconstructing Race. To take everyday issues and deconstruct the racial ideology behind them. At the beginning of this podcast, I submitted to you that there were two ways in which the black community can be racist toward itself. First, colorism. In part two of this discussion, we're going to explore the connection between colorism and the economic behavior that I term economic flight. I'll leave you with a tease into part two of this series. Take a look at the differences in wages for a dark-skinned African-American, a brown-skinned, and a light-skinned African-American. The study showing hourly wages among blacks literally rising as skin tone lightens. Lighter-skinned minorities viewed as more intelligent by employers, even with identical education as their darker-skinned counterparts. Experts say these examples of colorism have long-lasting effects of both mental and physical trauma. Be sure you catch part two of this topical discussion, Black People Can't Be Racist, Is That True?, where we will explore the second half of my premise of the self-limiting behaviors and the economic impact of colorism. If you identify as black or white, the challenge for you this week is to track your economic behavior and attitudes as you go about your business. Who you're spending your money with? Who are you making employment decisions about? As well as promotional and disciplinary decisions. The objective of these suggested activities are for you to try to identify any corresponding patterns of color associated with these activities. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. If you would like to learn more about the principles of racial deconstruction, please contact me. I am available. My works on racial deconstruction are available on Amazon. Please continue to follow this podcast as we together deconstruct race.